Hello, and welcome to Scanner Today's Last Week in AI podcast, where you can hear AI researchers chat about what's going on with AI. As usual, in this episode, we'll provide summaries, a discussion of last week's most interesting AI news. You can also check out our Last Week in AI newsletter at lastweekin.ai for articles we both did and did not cover in this episode. I am one of your hosts, Dr. Sharon Joe. And I am your other host, Andre Karenkov. I'm just going to give a quick summary of what we'll touch on. We'll go into how Hugging Face uh, raised a bunch of money, some new features that uh, Google has announced that are powered by AI. We'll cover some research on breaking down plastic with new enzymes and new progress in robotics. We'll talk about uh, the EU AI Act and its various facets, and also Clearview AI being banned from selling its facial recognition software to many AI companies. And as usual, we'll finish up with some fun stuff with a new music video from Kendrick Lamar that uses mm-hmm. deepfakes and a comparison of human drawings versus AI-generated drawings. So exciting episode exciting indeed and let's get going first up as usual we'll discuss applications and business starting off with the story hugging face reaches 2 billion valuation to build the github of machine learning so if you're any sort of software engineer using ai in the last few years you probably already know of hugging face it has a bit of an interesting history. It started off building a sort of chatbot app or messaging app. Uh, and then that sort of didn't go anywhere, but they released a really popular um, package on GitHub, a software package that really made it easier to develop things uh, in natural language processing. And since then, they've expanded their tools to a whole bunch of different things. They have a sort of repository of pre-trained machine learning models that are very easy to import into your code. They also have sort of live demos of things that a whole sort of community aspect. So they've raised a hundred million series C from a few different uh, companies. Uh, They already have a bunch of investors and are now valued at $2 billion. Um, pretty exciting. Yeah. They're this wow. article saying with GitHub of machine learning and that's kind of true. And I think, yeah, a lot of AI researchers, AI developers really do like what hugging face is doing. It's kind of crazy to look at hugging face and to think back on all the code that, you know, I had written, you had written and now it's just a line of code. Um, of course, it's not always a line of code to really, you know, get it out there uh, beyond just playing with it. Sometimes it does take a lot more than a line of code and a lot of finagling as well. Um, but that being said, Hugging Face has really enabled a lot of uh, great work and and companies also hit hit their APIs very easily instead of building everything, building out everything again and again. Um, it's great to see uh, how how far they've gotten. Um, I will say that people obviously have talked about um, uh, whether there is a questionable business model here. Of course, GitHub somehow managed to, to get where it is and GitLab as well. Um, GitHub being acquired by Microsoft, but GitLab really, you know, taking it to IPO. So we'll see um, where, where Hugging Face goes with this. 
Yeah, yeah. Apparently, ten thousand companies are already using it in one way or another. So it's definitely pretty popular. But a lot of this is not being charged. It's open source, or it's just free to use. But they do seem to be growing. I've seen a lot of tweets of people joining Hugging Face lately. So uh, definitely a cool company to keep track of. And on to our next article, Google ups the AI ante with new features for voice assistant maps and more. This is a long article about all the different features Google has released um, across uh, Google Voice, Google Lens, Google Assistant, Google Maps, and Google Translate. Uh, So one capability is being able to search within a scene and that uh, enables Google Voice Search and Google Lens to allow people to just point at an object with their phones or use live images coupled with text to define a search query. Um, so it allows basically us to understand the world um, in a way uh, in a way that we can you know easily figure out what we want, but also get our devices to see the world in this multimodal way, which is looking at you know text or live images all at once. Um, so for example, uh, one, one person, this, uh, post said he recently bought a cactus for his home, um, office and then it began withering. So he took a picture of it and at the same time searched for care instructions to bring it back to life. So he can put in into the search engine, both an image and text. Um, and so this is all around multimodal understanding, which is really now coming to the masses uh, if Google is really rolling this out. Um, so being able to to be able to scan all, all sorts of types of images um, across different languages uh, for people to do that is, is really quite incredible. Um, I'm curious to see what people actually use it for. Uh, I've been thinking about, you know, I, I'm not actually quite sure what I would use it for, but maybe it's, you know, taking a picture of something and then asking something specific about it or drilling down into, into what I'm taking a picture of. Um, I guess it's whichever modality is easier to explain something. Maybe you don't know the name of something, so you can just only take a picture. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting. This is something that really hasn't existed. And as you say, I think it's not obvious how you would use it, you know, compared to just Googling stuff uh, based on images or text. But it's, it's very pretty impressive that they are actually implementing it. And some of the other things announced, I was also quite impressed with. So for instance, um, they're making it so for Google Assistant, you no longer have to say, hey, Google, or any sort of activation phrase. They, um, you know, included a bunch of models that uh, check for proximity, head orientation, gaze detection, user phrasing, voice, and stuff. So it basically understands when you're talking to it without you activating it. Um, so kind of how humans would understand what you're talking to them. Right. So that's, uh, kind of really, really good. I would say really makes this more useful. And they also added, uh, an additional 24 new languages to Google translate, bringing their total to 133. And these uh, new ones are spoken by more than 300 million people worldwide. So yeah, it's, um, you know, recently I think Sundar Pichai uh, said that Google is not mobile force first, it's AI first as a company. And it definitely seems like they are working on all sorts of stuff using AI. 
Yeah, this is um, pretty exciting to see Google launch a lot of these features since it does touch on, you know, a a lot of people and a lot of lives. Um, It's cool to see Google Translate being rolled out to many, many more languages since uh, actually it doesn't touch on a lot of languages. Actually, roughly 6,000 languages are not supported. Um, And, you know, that that doesn't touch a big fraction of of the world. Uh, and and yeah, so I'm, I'm excited to see how Google rolls out these features. It's really not easy to go from research to deployment. And so uh, seeing this actually happening, you know, from from Google, which does so much research internally is, is exciting. Also speaks to kind of the lag time of things. Yeah, um, I think as far as companies go, Google has really been one of the faster ones to do this uh, translation. I know they implemented um, neural translation models to uh, Google Translate pretty quickly. And uh, now they're doing multimodal functionality and we've only really cracked multimodality, take text and images in the last couple of years. So it, I, I think it's pretty impressive how fast they commercialize these really um, advanced or, or yeah, recent techniques. Uh, and it does speak to how much we prioritize it. And on to our lightning round. First article is how machine learning is speeding up Formula One. Uh, so machine learning uh, is now key to helping uh, Formula One races, those teams for Formula One races uh, to succeed on the track. Uh, but its use actually in the sport extends beyond that. And the article touches on how machine learning is currently being used to improve engagement experiences of fans um, by, uh, and this is uh, by Amazon. The next article is China to build AI powered 3D printed hydroelectric dam in Tibet. This is a project on the Tibetan plateau that's aimed to build a hydroelectric dam using AI and 3D printing in just two years. And according to reports, the dam will be constructed entirely by AI powered robots, which will act as a giant 3D printer to build the 180 meter structure layer by layer. We may have to dive into that at some other point uh, on clickbait that. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's maybe not quite as impressive as it sounds, but uh, having a bunch of AI powered robots collaborate as a sort of printer does sound pretty cool. And I'd like to see how that looks. And on to our other lightning round stories. We have Intel de- debuts new chips for AI workloads, data center and acceleration uh, laptops. So Intel expanded its product portfolio with several new chips, including an AI processor that promises to provide twice the performance of NVIDIA Corp's flagship A100 graphics card. Um, All right, let's go, competition. Let's get it. <laughs> We're not even competition, just uh, we all need more GPUs. We don't really care where it's going from. Yeah, more compute, please. Uh, and then our last story here is 62.5 million fundraise value self-checkout system MashGen at 1.5 billion. So MashGen creates a touchless self-checkout system powered by AI and specifically computer vision. So it basically sees what you have in your cart and can recognize it without needing to scan a barcode. And now in their Series B, they you know 
got the 60 million and their valuation has gone up. So another uh, unicorn. Do unicorns matter anymore? I don't know. But <laughs> unicorns even big nowadays. It's all about the decacorns. I know. It's really crazy. Yeah. Alrighty, and on to our research and advancements stories, where we cover some papers usually. So first up, we have an article from Vice titled, Scientists Discover Method to Break Down Plastic in Days, Not Centuries. And this is an article that kind of summarizes a recent Nature paper titled, Machine Learning Aided Engineering of hydrolysis for pat depolymerization, which is a bit of a mouthful, but actually the article explains it fairly well. So uh, a group of scientists at the University of Texas at Austin have used a machine learning technique to create a modified enzyme that can, as the article says, break down plastics uh, in days instead of centuries. And uh, what this is focused on this very common form of plastic, polyethylene terephthalate, which is PET, PET. And this is a synthetic resin used in fibers for clothing and plastic that overall accounts for 12% of global waste. So it's a pretty big deal. And so they used an algorithm which was fed with 19,000 protein structures and taught it to predict the positions of amino acids in a structure that are not optimized for the local environment. Basically, they used um, a combination of models to both model potential solutions and then um, kind of evaluate them to be um, efficient and also robust. So their uh, enzyme titled FAST-PETASE, which is an acronym from Functional, Active, Stable, and Tolerant PETASE, um, is uh, really nice for several reasons. Uh, one of them is that it can work in a variety of environments. So similar enzymes often are limited to temperatures or acidity. And this one is uh, more uh, kind of robust in various situations. So yeah, really pretty exciting work. Uh, to dive into the network a little bit more, it's a three-dimensional ConfNet uh, and it's uh, specifically has, you know, just nine layers. So pretty small one actually. Um, divided into two different uh, blocks, they say feature extraction and classification. That's pretty typical of uh, what what a ConvNet would do. And so this is pretty basic model, um, but getting at a very interesting, uh, very interesting problem. Yeah, and uh, yeah, so they already have some demonstrations in the paper that this is usable and sort of works on the things like uh, plastic bottles. And now, um, you know, this is not kind of the end of it. Now they must uh, test this enzyme on a wide range of different types of pet plastics found in the waste stream of the real world uh, and detritors that's found in plastic bottles and things like that. And uh, should they actually demonstrate that this can be used practically, 
the researchers believe that it could uh, help tackle the billions of tons of waste in our environment. So clearly we need to address uh, plastic pollution and waste um, better. It's a real problem. And so hopefully this is a real, you know, scientific contribution towards that problem. And on to our next article, this deep learning technique solves one of the tough challenges of robotics. Uh, so this article is about uh, diff skill, which is a, a new technique that uses neural networks to learn uh, simple skills for robotics, uh, specifically for deformable uh, bodies or deformable um, objects, such as a piece of dough or fabrics um, that might have infinite degrees of freedom specific. Uh, and so rigid objects, you know, in contrast, will have, you know, various degrees of freedom, but also they have a finite set of numbers that can maybe describe the state of that rigid object. But a piece of dough or fabric might have like really infinite ways of representing its state. And so that makes it very hard to model mathematically. Yeah. So the paper here is titled Diff Skills, Skill Abstraction from Differentiable Physics for Deformable Object Manipulation with Tools. And um, the article here says, uh, solves one of the tough challenges of robotics. So for context, um, manipulating um, deformable objects is one of the big kind of difficult things because it's pretty hard to simulate uh, and, you know, obviously... Um, unlike rigid objects, uh, uh, deformable objects are sort of kind of tricky. They change in shape. So you really have to have a better uh, set of manipulation skills. And so here they have this plasticine lab, a differentiable physics simulator that was actually developed last year. And um, they used that to be able to optimize tool usage and combine that for Things like uh, dough manipulation, uh, which is actually pretty cool. And I think just diving one level deeper into the paper and in what they're doing, um, they're uh, they're doing two two different things. And um, the first stage of things is that they use a differentiable physics simulator uh, to generate different training examples to learn how to extract abstract different skills. So be able to say like. Hey, this is one skill. That's another skill. Be able to, you know, separate those out and kind of plan that. Um, so the skill abstractor will need to predict whether a desired goal is going to be feasible or not. You know, the goal of manipulating the dough in a certain way. Um, and then the second step uh, actually requires training a VAE, a variational autoencoder, and that's to learn this latent space representation, which is what a VAE does of these generated samples by the physics simulator. Um, and so the VAE is trying to encode these images, these, you know, the viewpoint from the, from the robot is like these images of this dough changing while it's manipulating it. Um, and also specifically they're applying domain randomization, which is a, a common technique now um, to try to abstract out, you know, different aspects of the background or really focus on representing what exactly, you know, the objects, what, what, they, what exactly is happening. So not caring about, you know, the color of the dough or anything like that. Um, 
And so they said, the author said that um, Diff Skill using these two steps was able to solve, uh, quote, long horizon tasks. And they tested it on uh, on dough manipulation as a task, which is uh, quite fun. So the AI agent must ha- must lift the dough with a spatula, place it on a cutting board and also spread it with a roller. So do multiple steps and with multiple different types of tools um, and also, optimization was really important, so it could be done efficiently in around 10 seconds for each skill combination on a single uh, 2080 GPU. Yeah, so pretty fun. It's definitely kind of a growing subject of interest, dif- uh, deformable objects. And here, some of these things are not too novel, such as uh, you know chaining these um, uh, lower level skills or shorter skills together. That's something that's pretty similar to prior work. So, but yeah, uh, this dough rolling thing is definitely super fun to see in simulation. And they do note in the conclusion that one of the next steps is to actually transfer this to a real robot, which would be uh, pretty fun to see. I would really love to see a robot, you know, make a dumpling or something. (laughs) So uh, hopefully, hopefully we're getting closer to that. Yeah, dough was a great task because everyone just gets a little, you know, hungry. I'm <laughs> just mm. looking at it. Yeah. And on to our lightning round. The first article is researchers now able to predict battery lifetimes with machine learning. And so this is researchers at the U.S. DOE, Department of Energy, uh, the Argonne National Lab specifically. And they've turned to AI to predict the lifetimes of a wide range of different battery chemistries. And they used experimental data gathered uh, at Argonne from a set of 300 batteries representing six different battery chemistries. And then the scientists can now accurately determine just how long different batteries will continue to cycle. And this is very, very, uh, this is honestly very important work. I I touched, I did a little bit of this work back in my PhD, um, and this would be very useful for understanding uh, when to, you know, recycle a battery, um, when when a recycled battery can be reused and continue to be used. um, And it just helps significantly uh, with that. And there's a lot of waste right now. Good job, Department of Energy. Yeah. And the next lightning round article is how do patients feel about AI in healthcare? It depends. So this is new research exploring uh, what patients think of AI uh, use in healthcare. Um, This is from Yale University, and they surveyed a nationally representative group of 926 patients about their comfort with the use of uh, AI, what concerns they have, and on their overall opinions. Yeah, so pretty interesting results here. like the title says, it depends in a sense that different people, uh, people are generally pretty comfortable with AI reading chest x-rays, but not comfortable with AI making a cancer diagnosis. Not too surprising, but uh, certainly good to know. And then for our final lightning on story, we have Meta AI, aka Facebook, introduces Make a Scene, a deep generative technique based on a transformer for text-to-image synthesis with human priors. So a new paper on generating images from text, and this one focuses um, to really generate uh, scenes as opposed to images. So similar to some stuff we've seen from NVIDIA, you can sort of draw 
uh, a little scene just with colors and say this is supposed to be water, this is a boat. And then um, it's easier uh, or through that process, you can generate an actual scene that you composed instead of just describing it with text and hoping it works. And in the article, they actually have a little YouTube video that they created, uh, which is really fun of a kind of children's story where they wrote the text and then they actually uh, created a bunch of images for this children's book. So that's a really fun thing we'll uh, link to. And drum roll, please. It is time for us to speak deep praise on the very tool that we're using right now to speak to you, which is Zencaster. Um, it is what we use uh, for podcasting and we do truly love using it. It's saved us many, many times. Um, they have, you know, really good sound, great video. Uh, they basically beyond that, I mean, they save your butt when you lose um, audio and video tracks uh, during your podcast, which we've been scared of before, but they always had us, always had our back there. Um, there are separate audio video tracks um, for guests who, you know, are recording or, or us. Um, and the cloud backup is pretty secure, so you won't ever lose it, like I said. Um, very easy to use, nothing to download. Guests just can click on a link and we can start recording. Um, so go to uh, zen.ai slash lastweekinai and get your 30% off your first three months with a pro account. Yeah. Give it a try if you need recording. Uh, I really do enjoy having separate tracks to get the best sound quality. Moving on to our society and ethics stories. First off, we have a quick guide to the most important AI law you've never heard of from the technology review. Uh, maybe we have heard of this one, I don't know, but uh, it's a really nice article basically summarizing what's going on with the EU AI Act. So it is kind of a first big law that aims to curb the harms of potential AI products by regulating the whole sector. And uh, it's pretty ambitious. So it, as I think we've discussed before, has things like extra checks for high risk uses of AI. So that's something like grading exams, recruiting, helping judges. Uh, it also would restrict um, law enforcement agencies' use of facial recognition uh, and uh, kind of a lot of things um, on, on that sort. So if they managed to pull it off, it would certainly be one of the strong, strongest uh, available regulations of AI, maybe only comparable to China, which we've uh, discussed a bit before. Certainly much more ambitious than anything that's been done at the U.S. And in the U.S., it's mostly been state and city level and not anything federal. Yeah, the EU is really ahead. Uh, one specific thing I thought was interesting was the bill requires people to be notified when they encounter deep fakes biometric recognition systems or AI applications that claim to be able to read their emotions. So these are very three specific categories that we've touched upon many times in our podcast uh, and do touch upon like the, these applications do typically cause some ethical quandaries uh, to, to happen. So it does make sense that they targeted these three. Uh, so I, I find that 
one very interesting detail there. Yeah, and we've also discussed how facial recognition has been used to target uh, journalists and, uh, you know, protesters and even led to some false arrest. So that does seem like a really good area to uh, tackle this. And what is also neat is that similar to the GDPR, the data protection regulations from the EU, uh, the GDPR, once companies uh, were in compliance with it, it sort of got exported to other countries by default, right? Because now that they support it, they could actually um, have that also for people in the US and so on. So if these protections are in place in the EU, it's hopefully likely that uh, similar sort of capabilities will be imported to the US and maybe even the US can follow suit with similar regulations. Uh, it'll be still another year before the final text will be, you know, set in stone and a couple more years before businesses will have to comply. Uh, of course, this adds more red tape for AI companies established in the EU, but the you know, EU is saying, no, this is extremely important um, and estimates that actually it would apply to only five to 15 percent of all AI applications. Uh, and of course, like like they have been doing, the EU will fine organizations uh, up to 30 million euros or 31 million dollars. Um, and for companies, actually up to six percent of total worldwide annual revenue, which is pretty huge. Uh, and the EU obviously has not been afraid to do that. Amazon was actually fined $775 million in 2021 for breaching uh, GDPR. And Google was fined $4.5 billion in 2018 for breaching uh, antitrust laws. Yeah. So as the article title says, this really is a very important uh, AI law that's being developed now. And based on GDPR, it probably will take a while to um, be passed, but it does seem that it is likely to actually eventually come into effect and do at least some of what this suggests, which is uh, is encouraging because, um, you know, we're definitely seeing especially facial recognition becoming widespread and it would be great to have this in the EU, which is all 27 countries and a population of over four, uh, 447 million people. And on to our next article, Clearview AI banned from selling its facial recognition software to most US companies. All right, so this is another groundbreaking thing in regulation, but Clearview AI actually agreed to settle a, a lawsuit from the ACLU that accused the company of basically uh, not following an Illinois law that was banning the use of individuals' biometric data without consent. Uh, and so that law specifically, BIPA, Biometric Information Privacy Act, was to protect the Illinois residents' privacy. Uh, but the Clearview settlement um, is actually clearly does set out uh, to help with not only Illinois uh, residents' privacy, but also national individuals' privacy. So this very much uh, sets the, ca the cadence for, for what could be for in national law. And so there is an exception that's made for government contractors, um, but uh, the company actually can't provide its software to any government contractors 
um, or state or local government entities in Illinois for five years because of this. Um, they'll also be forced to maintain an opt-out system to allow any Illinois residents to block their likeness from the company's facial search results. Um, a mechanism it must, you know, the company has to spend $50,000 to publicize online. Um, basically, this is, is really setting the tone for how the U.S. sees Clearview and, well, specifically Illinois. Um, Clearview obviously tried to spin the settlement as a huge win for the company, claiming um, its business will not be impacted and that Clearview is happy to end its legal battle with the ACLU. Um, but of course, uh, this this does still mean this is a I could also see how this could be a very big win for, you know, privacy for Clearview to say they can't really do this anymore. Yeah, exactly. And uh, this doesn't hurt them too much because they are mostly working right now with yeah. uh, law, uh, law enforcement agencies and Homeland Security and the FBI. But still, it does set a precedent uh, that's important. And they have been talking about wanting to expand to more sort of public businesses. So this would definitely curb that. And this, the reason this worked is that Illinois actually has the Biometric Information Privacy Act, which essentially is a pretty clear law application in this sense, where Preview just collects all of these uh, facial recognition or images of faces to put in its database. So it makes a lot of sense this was successful. And uh, another thing I found interesting is that another provision here is that uh, Clearview must end its practice of providing free trials to police officers if those individual, individuals don't get approval through their departments to test the software. So I've been very aggressive with just marketing to individual police officers in different departments with free trials. And um, yeah, no, this, this is, uh, we've talked about Clearview a lot, and this is maybe the first major uh, event in the U.S. to curb its spread following it being pretty much banned in different countries uh, like Canada and Australia. So yeah, good news. And on to our lightning round. The first article is Justice Department in EEOC War Against Disability Discrimination. So the Department of Justice and the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, the EEOC, today actually uh, just, actually not today, sorry. <laughs> and on to our lightning round. The first article is Justice Department and EEOC Warn Against Disability Discrimination. And so this is about these two departments in the government, uh, the Department of Justice and the EEOC, which stands for Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, um, releasing a technical assistance document about disability discrimination when employers use AI and other software tools to make employment decisions. So it's just it's a, it's a warning to start with. Makes sense, yeah. If AI tools don't take the possibility of disability, that'll be a huge issue. So right. good to see this. And our second lighting on story from a New Yorker, the Turkish drone that changed the nature of warfare. And it is talking about the Bayraktar TB2 that is now being used fairly extensively in Ukraine and also has been used in other countries. 
and has really, yeah, been uh, fairly influential in the last few years since being developed. Um, especially, it, it did gain some prominence for Ukraine with Turkey donating, I think, hundreds of them to the Ukrainian army. So a pretty good article just summarizing that topic. And on to our fun and neat stories. Mm -hmm. Starting off, we've got Kendrick Lamar uses deepfakes in latest music video. So Kendrick Lamar, for those who don't know, is um, possibly the best rapper of all time. He has been you know, universally recognized as sort of a genius in the past decade. And he just released a new album after a few years of uh, being kind of off the grid. And for the, uh, the song, The Heart Part 5, he uh, uses deep technology to morph his face into different black celebrities such as Kanye West, Will Smith, and OJ Simpson. So you can check out the video, just Google it, or just look it up on YouTube, The Heart Part 5. And it is, it's fairly evident it's deepfakes, but it also is quite high quality, which was interesting to see. Cool to see this going mainstream. Obviously, there are issues with uh, deepfakes. This was created by a studio called Deep Voodoo uh, and obviously a very high profile use of it. I, I do imagine that um, non-deepfake technology, but you know, similar uh, types of effects have been made uh, before. Yeah, I think this is probably a case where, as we've seen before, it's not just AI models. It's also sort of uh, just standard computer graphics that um, help it be more seamless. Uh, and we've seen other high profile applications, things like de-aging in Martin Scorsese's latest movie, things like uh, face transfer for... Uh, different movies. So computer graphics departments, special effects departments are using a lot of these sorts of things in various ways already. And this is maybe the latest example. And as you say, yeah, it's pretty high profile. There's already 26 million views and it is trending. So um, yeah, interesting to see this get more widespread and you can go ahead and check it out. It's, it's also a good song, I would say. And on to our last article. We asked 100 humans to draw the Dolly prompts. Uh, so this article is about grabbing some uh, Dolly-generated images, generated by Dolly 2 specifically, which was uh, an open AI uh, a model that goes from text that you can input to images that the model can then paint and draw for you um, in really, really high fidelity and doing really well. Um, and now in this case, uh, this company actually uh, got some people, some humans to take the text that was inputted into Dolly and draw what they thought you know, they would see and then give those pictures of real human drawings and also the fake dolly drawings to uh, to a hundred different people to ask, you know, which one is generated by AI, which one is by a human. Um, and actually, it was quite challenging for, for people to detect. Um, I 
I will say myself, I could tell because I played with Dolly a little bit too much. So I know a bit what to look for. But I don't think um, if they had refined things even further, I'm sure it would have been very, very challenging for me. Yeah, it's quite fun to compare them. I think in a few cases, I could tell pretty easily, especially with things like vector graphics, where it's very clean lines, very clean circles, uh, very straight. That's something that uh, things like Dali are still not quite good at. And there's also some MS Paint, you know, super, super <laughs> simple drawings that uh, I don't know how much MS Paint there is in a training set of Dali. Uh, it's kind of funny and, um, yeah, but it's, it's a lot of fun to see them side by side. And I actually do wish, uh, there was more of this sort of thing, um, going on just like, um, comparing and, and seeing to what extent Delhi can be made to match human drawings. If you can sort of reverse engineer Delhi to generate something like a human drawing it would be cool to see whether it can do that or if it has some limits any new uh dali creations for you this last week sharon oh yes yes always i get a lot of prompt requests from friends so i've been just <laughs> making those for them nice well once again check out sharon's twitter those. <laughs> Or just ask me for something. No, I'm kidding. Um, yeah, I actually had a really fun request by a friend for Mother's Day for, for their mom. And they were so excited. And the mom was so happy. that Honestly, that made me so happy. They, the mom actually thought it was commissioned by some artist. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. it's cool. Very cool. Very cool indeed. And yeah, you can actually feel free to email contact at lastweekin.ai if you have requests, we would be happy to uh, fulfill that for our listeners. So, you know, think up a, a fun prompt and maybe we'll go for it. And with that, thank you so much for listening to us on this week's episode of Skynet Today's Last Week in AI podcast. You can find the articles we discussed here today and subscribe to our weekly newsletter with similar ones at lastweekin.ai. Subscribe, subscribe to us subscribe to us if you're a new listener and just listen to this episode subscribe and if you are subscribed <laughs> please do leave us a review on apple podcasts we haven't seen a new one in a few weeks and we are always excited to see uh, what people have to say and actually so excited we love it we love it. It's like, wow, actual people listen to this. I know. It, it does. It makes a big difference. <laughs> it does. Uh, so, yeah. And we then, talk about it all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I just we'll send Sharon screenshots, screenshots and like, oh, new review. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So definitely always exciting. But even if you don't review us, uh, do we'll please tune you. in yeah. next week. We'll keep doing this. So don't worry.